prayer that helps to center me, if that's okay with you. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's post to secure me against snares of devils, against temptations of vices, against inclinations of nature, against everyone who shall wish me ill, afar and anear, alone and in a crowd. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ in breadth, Christ in length, Christ in height, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. This prayer has always meant a great deal to me, and I have prayed it frequently over the years. It's a snippet from a prayer called the Breastplate of St. Patrick, and I believe it's very connected to the topic today. So today I wanted to talk about testimony. Before I start my reading, um, I want to thank Bill, wherever he is, I think he's downstairs now, um, because he and I did not talk before I walked up here, and what he said it just now is like exactly, exactly where I'm going. So it was really, really good, um, and I love it when God does that, just kind of brings everything together. Yeah, more of that, please. <laughs> that makes for a good Sunday morning. <laughs> so, so testimony, testimony. You have that um, little snippet there in your bulletin today. It's a complicated topic, and honestly, I have literally rewritten this a thousand times in my head. And I had a whole other sermon type thing prepared, and then about the middle of this week, I was reading through it, and God said, "Hey, guess what? We're not doing this Sunday." We're not doing that, you know, so it was just kind of a whole reroute of, you know, direction and everything. Um, I'm really going to try hard to do this topic justice today. Um, there's just a lot of, there's a lot to it. And if you have questions, I absolutely encourage you to pull me aside later so that we can talk. Um, so what I would like to do is kind of split this topic into two parts. The first part is going to be more of the heady stuff, the intellectual um, and then the second part is going to be more of the emotions and the heart of this topic. And um, again, apologies for the fact that I'm going to be reading a lot. Since having a child, my brain left me back there somewhere, so this helps keep me focused, and that's what you guys want me to be focused today. All right, so part one, what is testimony? This is where I'm going to have a little crowd participation, if you will. Um, if you were to think of the word testimony outside of the church, so try not to think about church when you think about the word testimony. What definition would you give it? Anybody? Courts. Courts. Okay. Repeating a story. Repeating a story. Okay. Anything else? Testifying. Testifying. Okay. Any other definitions for testimony? Facts. Good. Uncomfortable 
And truth be told, that's um, very similar to some of the uh, definitions that I am going to read. Um, one of the definitions that I came across in Merriam-Webster is a public profession of religious experience, which to me is pretty vague and can mean a lot of things. So I would like to go with a more specific definition. There's a judicial theme that runs um, throughout the Bible, and we read about it um, in Job when Satan, as the accuser, is endeavoring to bring evidence before God about Job um, in the heavenly court. And this judicial theme repeats itself in Revelation, which is a verse that we're going to get to. So when I read about how God discusses testimony in the Bible, I tend to gravitate more to the following definitions. Testimony, a solemn declaration usually made orally by a witness under oath in response to interrogation by a lawyer or authorized public official, or testimony, a firsthand account of a fact, evidence. Oddly, a testimony is both objective and subjective. It can be both perceptible or seen by others, and it can be individually experienced. You are a witness to events that occurred in your life, and others can also observe that, and from your point of view, you bear honest evidence. So think of the Sermon on the Mount. So the disciples, they picture Jesus standing right here, and then maybe you have a disciple that's like all the way over here, and he's watching the event from this perspective. You might have you know, a couple of them hanging out in the back, you might have one that's kind of sitting around here watching Jesus give the testimony. They're all viewing the same event, but they all have completely different perspectives. And so they, they all write, you know, or I think most of them write about the Sermon on the Mount, and they, it's, it's, it's unique. The, point of, the points of view that they have from that same event is they're all unique. And this is kind of the theme in the Bible that the Bible is as much a historical document as it is a collection of accounts of the work of God in the everyday lives of his people, from the most lowly to the most lofty. Whether they lived a charmed existence, or they were running from the law, or they were confronting the law, or they were in captivity, each account is a unique perspective. It is a testimony. Now, here's why I want to challenge the religious norm a little bit, if you'll allow me. There are two major types of testimony that I've experienced in the church. The first is the more canned salvation message testimony, and then the second is the ongoing testimony, what is happening in your life as you are living it. And it is around here that I would like to clarify that I don't see the canned testimony happening here in this church, but I have seen it in churches. I've been to an awful lot of churches. You can ask me about that later. Um, I've been baptized like four times, so I've just like I've had a lot of experience in churches, um, and I, and so I've seen these the, the, the thematically I have seen these two types of testimony present themselves in um, American churches, and so I want to discuss my experience with the canned testimony message. Right, I was a young adult and I was part of a group, and it was not a bad group. It was a very good group, but. Um, they had us do this um, project where we um, were all given pieces of paper and we all had to write down what um, the events that led to us being saved, okay? And so we all wrote them down and then we were supposed to get into groups and we were supposed to exchange these um, you know, accounts that we had written with one another. And then the other group members critiqued them and kind of, yeah, oh, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> So, um, so, they, so other group members would critique your 
salvation testimony and would um, give pointers as to how to whittle it down. You see, because you only have a very limited amount of time before you lose people's attention. And so you, they, they would give pointers on how to, you know, kind of work your messaging a little bit so that you could keep people's attention. And there was a part of me at that time that, you know, I was recently, had recently dedicated my life to, to God at, at age 17. So by the time I was in these young adults group, I was probably about like 19, 20. And I was kind of compulsively nodding with this whole thing, like, okay, yeah, this, this sounds okay, I guess. But then there was this other part of me that was just like, why are, why are we doing this? Like, why, why? Like, and kind of looking across at the other group members, like, why are you critiquing my story? This is my story. Like, and even the, 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 the tiny details of that story, they're important to how I got. So why are we, you know, like leaving them out, you know? Um, and so, I want just to be clear, it's not that the salvation message testimony is inherently bad. It's not bad. But my point is that um, the, the, this kind of canned, like, generated thing that we've done has been used by the church to hook people. The point of sharing testimony is not to be manipulative or to market Jesus. God has no problem selling himself if that's what you want to call it. He can do that all by himself. And we don't necessarily have to do that work for him. So our job is then is different. And we're going to get to that. The canned testimony method really creates shallow relationships and has the potential to be disingenuous because you are really only sharing a piece of yourself that you have heavily filtered. And it is often over-practiced. Sharing your ongoing, authentic, real-time testimony creates honest community. And that is what we want, to share both God and life with others in a genuine way. When we are in relationship with God first, and then one another, then we care about each other. And out of that care and compassion, God can grant wisdom and discernment to share our lives in a meaningful way with one another. As a result, we feel more understood, less isolated and more able to shift our perspective and see how God is working. Testimony and relationship, they work together. If your testimony about God is ongoing, and you are actively and candidly sharing it with others, and you surround yourself with a community who does the same, then you will never have a shallow relationship. And if you are filling your life with honest, meaningful relationships, allowing God to work in those relationships, then your testimony will be rich. The point of sharing testimony is to bear witness to the work of God in your life, whatever that looks like in that moment. Right. To be more concise, the point of sharing testimony is to tell the truth. Right. It pretty much goes without saying that God is all about the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so sometimes we try to control the messaging of the truth, and it can get in the way of what God is trying to do. How many people are familiar with St. Augustine? Any familiar? Okay. One person. Maybe two, two people who are familiar with St. Augustine. I think the level of the average person's familiarity with him is that he was named a saint. And there are a couple churches named after him and a few schools and uh, okay, shrub shoulders and some, you know, other buildings and such. He um, was a really powerful, uh, he actually, I mean, at, and in, in his time, I think he had some influence, but it was really long after he died that um, we, we can 
really see the, the power of his influence. Um, he, his writings um, really heavily um, inspired, I think, the early church fathers and everything. Um, people who, you know, write commentaries about the Bible today, you know, can kind of go back to the writings of St. Augustine. So, um, and this is a dude who, let me get this right, um, this book was written in A.D. 379, or three, no, 397, rather, to 398. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so, you know, but I still think that um, the, his work is very applicable to what, you know, the lives that we live today, really. Um, because here's a guy who was, if I'm being completely honest, was kind of a jerk before he came to know God, before he came to understand who God was in his life. And in his memoir, which I have here, um, it's a book called Confessions, okay? It talks about the ups and downs of in his life before, during, and after he dedicated his life to following Christ. I'm bringing him up because I stumbled over a random fact about this book. One of his biographers, Gary Wills, would likely would have altered the title of St. Augustine's book if he could. The book was translated to English from Latin. Um, he actually, the, the, the biographer actually prefers the title testimony as opposed to confessions. And this stands out to me because this is exactly the point of what we're talking about today. St. Augustine, through these confessions that he tells in the book, told the truth about his life. This is his testimony, the good, the bad, and all the little mundane bits in between. And God has used this in a tremendous way. Imagine if this man filtered himself. Trust me, there's a lot in here that he could filter. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big book, yes, and it would probably be a very thin book if he filtered himself and took out all of the, you know, little bits that you, you might be a little embarrassed about or something, you know, like just if, if he filtered himself, it would, it would, there, there would be something missing, would lack a lot of power. So here's where I want to shift gears into more of the heart of this message, more of the emotion. What is the power of testimony? Why does it matter to tell the unfiltered truth to anyone who has ears to hear? The simple answer is because it directly impacts the enemy. There is little that the enemy hates more than the plain, unadulterated truth. Let's demystify this. Testimony is telling the truth about something that happened. Prophecy is telling the truth about something that will happen. Notice the theme. God is all about the truth. Okay? So let's bring in the passage of the day here. Um, so in your bulletin, the flip, flip, it, flip it open, and you see um, Revelations 12, 11 here. Um, so I'd like to read around those verses a little bit, just to give it a little, just to fill it up a little bit more. So this is Revelation 12. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And I'm going to stop there and focus a little bit first on the first part of verse 11. And it's absolutely critical for me to comment on the first part of verse 11. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Without the blood, 
our faith lacks teeth. Without the blood, our faith lacks teeth. It's not my quote. I actually read that somewhere, and it really left an impression on me. Without the blood of Christ, our faith has no grit, no real substance. It is, in fact, indistinguishable from any other belief without the blood. The resurrection, also very important, but the blood of Christ is the absolute cornerstone of our faith. Salvation by Jesus' sacrifice is good news, and good news deserves to be shared. Testimony is nothing without the blood of Jesus. So then the second bit, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. As you might expect, testimony and faith work together. Without testimony, our faith is blind, lame, deaf, and mute. As I recall, these are all ailments that God wants to heal, not just physically, but spiritually. Proper, honest testimony publicly acknowledges that Christ is the Son of God and the head of the church and indicates how that truth is evident in your life. Without proper, honest testimony, we become more interested in ourselves. And we cannot effectively be the actual body of Christ. We can't be the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears, etc. To further this point, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Testimony is the declaration of evidence in faith. Testimony, God, God doesn't need testimony. He wants it. It is the structure of the redemptive relationship he builds with us and the framework of the community that we construct with one another. Testimony, or evidence, leads us back to God's word. And God's word always points us towards truth. And truth is the essence of who Jesus is, and Jesus is also life. So, the more we testify, the more we exist in truth and life, the more we reinforce the consistency of scripture, the unity of the Godhead, and the unity of the church with Christ. In other words, when we testify, we're playing offense, not defense. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 6 that discusses playing offense, which I'd like to read in the New Living Translation because I like the language a bit better here. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Testimony has everything to do with this. When we offer an honest testimony, we are actively discussing how we are utilizing the armor of God. In my experience, the majority of the American church offers a recycled, over-rehearsed flesh and blood testimony as if the biggest enemy we'll ever have is our skeptical second cousin. What would it look like if we started offering and overcoming evil rulers' testimony. 
What if we offered the kind of testimony that systematically breaks down the lies of the enemy? There we go. What if we offered a rebuttal against every accusation that's been leveled against us? So here's what I want to do. I want to model that a little bit right now. Which is where I take a deep breath. <laughs> All of the previous discussion about testimony was the easy part, and this is now the hard part. So, <laughs> the testimony that I want to give is regarding some of the events leading up to giving birth to Kyla, my daughter, who is now talking. <laughs> yeah, she did. Um, some of you know that there were a lot of struggles, um, obstacles that we needed to work through along the way. Some of these obstacles were psychological, some of them were biological, and some of them were spiritual. With each of these obstacles, there was some kind of accusation that I had to work through. For example, when I discovered that a lot of my fertility issues had to do with hormonal imbalance, and that this imbalance could be corrected by dietary and lifestyle changes, the biggest accusation from the enemy that I faced was, that'll never happen. You'll never be able to initiate all of these changes. And if you do, do you honestly think you'll be able to sustain it? You're not strong enough. So here's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not strong enough on my own. I'm not strong enough on my own. I learned a lot about my weaknesses during that time. So the changes that I had to address needed to be made with a community of support. And they needed to be made under the direction of God. Lifestyle and dietary changes for me became an issue of obedience. I knew the good that I needed to do, and I deliberately didn't do it over and over and over and over. And if you want to know the reference for that, that is the entire chapter of Romans 7, which was my life. I just kept doing bad things over and over again, knowing the good that I should do. So I fought and fought and fought and fought and fought until I just got tired. And that's when God asked me if I had had enough, if I wanted to be free, and if I wanted to live. In a very real way, if I had let those imbalances in my body continue, I had some bad stuff on the horizon. I was already showing some early warning signs of PCOS and fibroids. If I had let that go unchecked, I probably would have gone the way of endometriosis. And hormonal imbalances in women generally open up an increased risk of diabetes because of blood sugar imbalances and heart and lung issues because blood sugar imbalance is directly related to circulatory problems. My inflammation was through the roof, so the chance of arthritis was absolutely a reality. And that does run in my family, rheumatoid arthritis runs in my family. So um, when I had that, con when I say I had that conversation with God, or rather when God had that conversation with me uh, about whether or not I wanted to live, I'm not being overdramatic. <laughs> When I began working on my dietary and lifestyle issues as issues of obedience, it entirely changed the depth of my relationship with God. And it gave me a better quality of life, biologically, psychologically, and spiritually. Amen. To give you a time frame, all of this subtle detail work that God was doing in my life happened over the course of about seven years. So in hindsight, hindsight being 2020, this was no small task. First, God placed a community of professionals and friends around me who were all going down a similar road. Then I began to resolve issues of anxiety by making physical changes. 
And spiritually, God was helping me understand some fundamental truths, like Romans 8, 12 through 14, which I'll read again, New Living Translation, because I like the language here. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Another major issue that I needed to confront was my anger towards God over not being able to conceive. I'm going to get really honest about what was going on in my head, because sometimes you have to confront lies openly so that the lies can lose their power and the truth can come in. The accusations here were... God has bigger things than to be concerned about your little feelings. You're just one of many people who struggle with infertility. Do you really think that God is going to think that your issues, your prayers matter over everyone else? God screwed up. Your body is broken. There were plenty of people that Jesus didn't heal. Do you really think that God is going to prioritize healing you over everyone else? Yeah. Those were literally thoughts, yes, they are big, going on in my head, and they were very convincing at the time that I was thinking them. And these thoughts are enough to give anybody an anger issue, and honestly, what was underlying the anger was hurt and depression, and I was trying madly to cover it, which was a mistake, because it is always a mistake to say that you are an honest Christian, and then to be openly deceptive with everybody around you. Terrible, hypocritical, double standard, but that's how I was living. So, it's time to tell the truth today. At one point or another, I had to say to myself that if I was going to stand there in front of people and say that I believed in God, I had to take him at his word. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God has called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. I had to remember to give all of my anxiety to God because he loves me. I had to remember that he has his own timeline. And that at the right time, he would honor my obedience to him. I had to remember that I had a family of supports around me. I had to remember that after I had endured my trials for a time, God himself would restore me. I had to get all of these things straight in my mind. The biggest step that I took was getting honest with others. At long last, I sat down with some female friends. There's Michelle. <laughs> Put on a little humility and just let everything out. I allowed my friends to pray over me. Again, taking God at his word. In James chapter 5, it says, 
Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And here's, this is the clutch part. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Roughly two months following that time of prayer when I confessed all of my anger, my fears, and just ways that I was missing the mark with God, two months from that time frame, I was pregnant. Again, this was about seven odd years after I began this journey. So at this point, I'd like Mario to hand off my daughter. <laughs> I just want to like the worship team to come on up. There's a lot more that I can talk about regarding this journey, but all y'all can talk to me separately if you want to, if you want more details. Um, so I want to wrap up with, with a passage from Romans 8 that I think just completely encapsulates the message of testimony and what testimony is, is for. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Amen. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. That is my testimony. Now, my testimony and your testimony are not going to be the same, and that is precisely the point. God wants to have a unique and individual relationship with you, and as your defender and redeemer, he wants to dismantle all of the accusations that you carry with you that are burdening you. So I want to plead with you now to allow today to be a critical part of your ongoing testimony. I know, because I'm human, <laughs> that I am not the only one who has struggled with some of those accusations that I was talking about today. I know that there have to be people out there right now that are struggling with some serious accusations going on in your mind that plague you. And my encouragement to you today um, would be to come forward and, you know, please allow me to be the model here in the same way that I went before, you know, my friends, but also leaders in the church and, you know, said, hey guys, this is what's going on in my head and I can't get it out. Like, I can't, I just can't deal anymore, you know? They prayed over me. And it didn't change anything immediately, but it, like, it shifted something inside of me. Something changed. And, and I, I want everybody here to be able to have the opportunity to have the same experience. So if there are uh, at least a couple people who would be willing to 
come up and pray with people. I'll be up here too, um, but if I have some support, <laughs> there's a couple people who want to um, pray over other people. Um, guys, if you are struggling, please, 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 please do not let this opportunity to pass you by. Come up and receive encouragement and prayer and just intercession. Thank you. 